What makes for a solid Christian testimony? You may think that it's its relatableness to those that you share it with, but you would be wrong. It is its unrelatable radicalness of God's saving work in our lives that makes our testimonies powerful. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. Or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we begin a series that we will visit off and on for some time now on the book of Romans. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and Paul's introduction of himself. But to start with, we enter into our consideration of the text with a brief consideration of Paul's testimony to Festus and Herod Agrippa found in Acts 26. A cultural testimony of Christianity is very much like a cultural testimony of anybody who's grown up in whatever the majority religion is in their country. You know, you grew up tender-hearted as a little child. You get into high school and you begin to want to run with your friends and be popular and see what the adventures are in the world. And a little later on in life, you decide that some of those things that you believe when you were a little child that your parents taught you were valuable. And you want to get back to it and you want to kind of root your life in those things because that's the basis from which you want to live your life and kind of fit into the society in which you live. And so you come back to that faith. People share those kinds of testimonies in Buddhist countries and Hindu countries and Muslim countries. They share those kinds of testimonies in Christian or Christianized nations. Yet that's not the kind of testimony we want to share. That's a testimony you can share with anybody and they can identify with it and say, yeah, I have a testimony very similar to that. You want to share a testimony that's rather radical. The testimony that we just read about in Acts 26 that Paul is sharing is a radical testimony of a radical confrontation with the person of Jesus Christ in which he recognizes his sin. He recognizes the pattern of his behavior is antithetical, and it's actually against the very things that God is trying to do to bring people to himself. And he's brought into a deep and profound moment of repentance, and he responds enthusiastically with the desire to serve God in every way. And when you're done sharing those testimonies, you get the kind of responses that Paul got from Festus and Agrippa. Festus was like the procurate, a Roman procurate of that area, and Agrippa was the king ruling over that region that Paul was living in, a Samaritan. And Festus says, Paul, you've lost your mind. You're insane. You're crazy. Much learning has made you mad. And listen, if your testimony doesn't, to some extent, make people think you're nuts, right? You probably haven't got to the point where it's radical It's radical expression of the transforming power of the gospel in a person's life. And Agrippa, though, said, Paul, are you trying to convince me in such a quick way to become a Christian like you? In other words, Agrippa saying, there's something to this. It may sound crazy, but this has a ring of truth about it. Well, the testimony of Paul was one that made people actually go mad around him at what they thought was his madness. And at the same time, it was profound. This week, what I want to do is begin a series in the book of Romans. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read to you verses 1 through 7. I'll just give you a little bit of background here. Paul has never traveled to Rome. He's never gone there before, and yet now he's towards the end of his ministry, and he wants to go to the church that's in Rome. And We don't know exactly how the church in Rome got started, but we're actually told that on the day of Pentecost that there were... Jews and 
individuals from Rome that were in Jerusalem at that time that heard the message of the gospel being proclaimed by the early church. And we might assume that of those 3,000 that believed on that day, some of them were from Rome and they took back this new life that they'd experienced by believing in Jesus Christ to Rome. But also Rome was the center of the world and so all the work that the apostles were doing in impacting people ultimately would have found individuals that were going back to that city and they brought the gospel back to that city. And we do know of individuals who were in Rome prior to Paul or prior to Peter, yet to some extent the church traditionally has has basically said that Peter and Paul both were founders of the church in Rome. It's interesting, the church was already there, it was already meeting, it was already gathering, but there's some credit that they are the apostles that brought and bore the greatest influence on the church in that place. Paul now is coming towards the end of his ministry and he wants to go and he wants to enjoy fellowship with this growing church in the capital city of the Roman Empire and he's writing them to introduce himself. It's also helpful In all the other letters that we have of Paul, Paul has been there. He's been teaching. He's been, in a sense, unloading the systematic expression of his instruction to the people. And then he writes back to them to address some particular problem or issue that's going on. And so his writings are focused like a laser on those issues. But when he's going to the Church of Rome, they've not received, in a sense, this corpus of the broad instruction or the general instruction that he's delivered in every place. And so we have to kind of understand and believe that what Paul here is doing is he's, in a sense, he's laying down before them the foundational elements of his teaching before he goes and he visits with them. And that's what makes Rome such an important book as well. Here we're just going to consider this morning Paul introducing himself to the church in Rome, and we recognize that the things that he's going to say about himself reverberate out of that testimony that you can read in Acts chapter 26, that radical testimony of meeting the Lord Jesus Christ and being wonderfully transformed by him. Let me read to you the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. We will probably be at least one more week in this section of Scripture. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations." including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I've said, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and one of the things he's wanting to do is kind of establish his apostolic credentials. Paul is an apostle. He's writing, in a sense, to include himself among at least what are the 12, or now he's the 13th apostle. And an apostle is an individual who has been an eyewitness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle is also an individual who first person received direct, systematic instruction and teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ. And having been an eyewitness of his resurrection, they're persons who have been directly commissioned to go and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of the earth. In other words, they have been given an assignment to be the founders, you might say, of the early church. 
and the immediate voices of the word of Jesus Christ to the world. They're the ones who establish now what we have known as our canon. It's this instruction that we have in the New Testament that embodies, you might say, the apostolic teaching of the early church. And Paul is including himself in that. I, I want to speak about this a little bit more the next time we speak on this topic. You'll see that the writers of the New Testament very much want us to know that they speak and they teach with this apostolic authority of those who have seen the Lord Jesus, been instructed by the Lord Jesus, have been given their message not through you know, the advancing reporting from one man to another man to another man, but they receive it directly from Jesus Christ himself. And they report that teaching directly to us. And Paul is occupying this position as well. The period of the apostles lasts to about 60 or 70 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. The last apostle was the apostle John. He's the only one of the apostles that doesn't die a martyr's death. So when John passes away some 60 or 70 years after the resurrection of Jesus, he brings to a close this period of the apostles. And a couple things you need to know, just one, the apostles and the era of the apostles was a time of spectacular success. They may have died as martyrs, but they made a tremendous impact. There was no apostle that was, in a sense, more successful than the apostle Paul. By the time that Paul is beheaded in Rome, there is a church in every major city in the Western Roman Empire. By the time the apostolic period ends, it's estimated there are about 500,000 or half a million followers of Jesus Christ. It's a time of tremendous and wonderful success. And these apostles conclude their ministry. When they conclude it, they leave behind an organized fellowship across the Roman Empire and a host of equipped and activated believers who are on mission to take the gospel over the next hill and into the next valley and who are willing to follow their founders in martyrdom in order to carry forward their work to the ends of earth as they know it. When Paul first came to the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that he departed into the Arabian desert for three years. If we gather from the statement of his testimony in Acts 26, there on that place, the Lord Jesus continues to appear to him and instruct him so that when Paul finishes that time in Arabia and eventually he goes to a place where he meets with the other apostles, he doesn't go there to have them lay out before them the apostolic doctrine. He already has it. He only spends, he, he's very clear in Galatians to tell us, he's only with them for 13 days. He just comes to meet with them and gather with them and they accord or they recognize that he too has been with the Lord Jesus. Um, so he begins his ministry going off to this place of silence and solitude where in quiet fellowship with the Almighty, the Savior can hone and develop in him the message that he's to bring to the Gentile nations. At the end of his life, Paul is not looking for the solitary place. He's wanting to go to the teeming streets of Rome to preach the gospel that he's preached throughout the Western Roman Empire. These writings of Paul that he writes have tremendous impact on the world. Actually, we're going to look at this letter of Romans, and if you study church history, you'll find out that church history is replete or full of individuals who rise up to give leadership to the church that trace their conversion to the moment in which they encountered the teachings of Paul in the book of Romans. Augustine will 
say that it was reading the book of Romans that ultimately turned him to Christ. Luther will confess that it was reading the book of Romans in which he discovered the wonderful truth of justification by faith. The same is true of John Wesley and other individuals throughout church history. The interesting thing is Paul's not only in this way impacted church history, but Paul has impacted all of the world, all of the Western world. Just the other day I was listening to a, an account of a man who is an atheistic or an atheist historian who had had to acknowledge that ultimately all of the Western world was shaped or formed by Christianity. He was trying to find out what was the root of democracy and Western civilization. And as an atheist, he wanted to find it in the teachings of the Greeks and in the positions and arguments of the Romans, but he couldn't find it there. Ultimately, he had to confess that it was in the writings and teachings of Paul. In fact, he made the comment that what Paul wrote was kind of like a depth charge that exploded deep, deep beneath the surface of the Greek and Roman world order and began a series of revolutionary ways of thinking that is still impacting our world today. Now, the only reason I'm telling you that is this man had tremendous impact, tremendous impact on the church in the time in which he lived. He left the world a church that made even greater and more far-reaching impact. His teaching is continually informing the way that our society and our culture even take shape, even in this day and age. And so we ought to pay attention to his life. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.